Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lost with Friends. As always, I'm your host, Paul, and joining me today, two people who are hopefully going to help me carry this episode. Introduce yourselves, guys. Hey there, I'm Andy, and I'm from England. And I'm Kev, and I'm from Jersey, and you probably got the people that are the furthest and the closest to you, Paul, right now on the line. That's probably true, actually, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, today we are going to be discussing the episode Stranger in a Strange Land. Your favorite. Yeah, totally. <laughs> no, you've been waiting for this one. Uh, I won't lie. While I was rewatching this one, I was thinking the whole time, like, as I'm, as I'm watching it, I'm just like, oh my god, like, let's just get this over with, get this over with, and then it finally finished, and I was like, you know, actually, it, it wasn't as bad as I remember it. I don't know why, but this time it didn't necessarily seem as bad. You're kind of stealing my thunder here. I thought I was going to come in with a hot take and say, you know what, this episode isn't as bad as everyone says it is. No, it's definitely not. And you've got to remember that um, the kind of the importance of this episode as well and just what it did for the entire series arc, because it was one of the most poorly received episodes, and it was almost the episode that prompted them releasing their end date finally saying they were going to do three more series and lost even been quoted saying that yeah i did see that as well and but when i was watching it it's like i didn't feel like i was watching the worst episode of lost ever like i didn't feel like paul where it's like oh this is you know i'm kind of trudging my way through the entire episode like i i didn't mind it honestly like you know i i thought i would be alone in that but it seems like uh we got a little consensus here yeah, I, I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the episode greatly, to be honest. But I'm just a massive Jack fan, so oh, it's kind of hard for me not to enjoy an episode like. This. I mean, don't get me wrong; I still think it's the worst episode. But uh, it was just this time watching it. I, I don't think it was necessarily as bad as I've built it up to be in my mind. Maybe it's better than Fire and Water, in my opinion. I don't like that one. Might be might be better than Across the Sea. Across the Sea, I quite liked, but I think that was just because of all the, um, all the information and answers you got in that. I'd never, every time I read up on the worst episodes, Across the Sea is always in that, that conversation, and I never really realized it until after it finished and I saw that stuff. I'm actually in agreement, Andy. Yeah. I, for me, I feel like it had more to do with uh, how rushed it seemed. And you, you had six seasons to build up to it, and then you kind of just rush through a bunch of stuff in, in uh, 43 minutes or whatever it was. But we'll get to that. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Well, the fact that it was like the, the fourth to last episode and you don't get any of your, the characters you've been loving for six years in the episode. But anyway, that's not this episode, like you said. We can, go, we can come to that in like a year's time. Yeah, yeah. We'll get there. Okay, so for this episode, I have uh, we start out with Sawyer and Kate rowing the boat from Hydra Island to the main island. Sawyer is singing the song Show Me the Way to Go Home as he paddles and Kate is contemplating. After a moment, she tells him to stop and insists that they go back to get Jack. Sawyer tells her that she's crazy, they just escaped, and Jack specifically told them not to come and get him. And he calls Ben Captain Bunny Killer and implies that he will kill them if they go back. Yeah, either Evangeline Lily's acting was bad here or Kate genuinely didn't care too much and just felt like she needed to kick up a fuss. She didn't convince me that she actually wanted to go back with her 
with a little speech then. She's always kicking up some kind of fuss, and I, and I, and I think it's kind of funny. Uh, this might be the first time we hear the words, uh, we have to go back. Yeah. Yeah, the start of, of many. Yeah. And, and yeah, it may have, you know, they may have plotted it out to the end of the season already. So uh, to the point of uh, my last appearance on the show, Paul, a little foreshadowing here. I was, uh, I, I recorded uh, an episode, the, the episode right before this, I recorded with Liam, and I it, it took all that I had, Kevin, to not just yell out foreshadowing all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they start hitting you with a lot of it here. Yeah, and, I was just your last one the other day, Kevin, you and Jake, and I was surprised to hear that you, like many of our other Lost friends, joined the lost bandwagon late and you were saying that you started in season four i'm just very surprised at how many of our losty friends didn't watch it from the beginning i think i was just so out of it when when this show started i really wasn't watching any tv i wasn't into any sports and then eventually you know i was all about girls and then and you know just going out and partying and stuff and eventually it was a girl who got me into the show because yeah she was into it so i kind of had to jump on. And I, I just got to ask, do either of you know the song that Sawyer was singing that uh, Show Me the Way to Go Home? I had to look it up. No, I didn't. I, it's just funny to me because I had no idea what he was singing. But actually, Cherie was sitting here next to me as I was watching the show and taking my notes last night. She starts singing along with Sawyer. I have no idea. Like, I didn't bother to ask. But I have no idea where she knew it from. I thought maybe it was uh, from a, some kind of Disney movie or something growing up. But I had no idea of this song at all, but she's sitting here singing along to it. Yeah. I, I mean, I would only know it based off of this show. Same. Carl wakes up and confirms that if they go back, Ben will kill them before adding as per the video from room 23, God loves you as he loves Jacob. But of course, Sawyer has no idea how to react to this and sarcastically <laughs> thanks him for his input as he begins rowing again. He then apologizes to Kate and says that Jack is on his own. Do you think really, you had any thoughts about Jacob at this point, or do you think you just glossed over it and didn't even notice? They're really starting to beat the uh, Jacob drum here. I feel like, like I think this is a three of the past five, maybe even more episodes where they've uh, mentioned something about Jacob. Yeah, I think they were definitely starting to, so that we would question it. But mm-hmm. I don't think that I don't think Sawyer or any of the rest of them gave it a second thought at all. Yeah, I just remember that on all the forums and stuff, people were going crazy about Jacob, and it's, it was just good that he actually, that mystery turned into be a good one. Back in Jack's cell, Tom comes in and tells him that they're moving him somewhere else. Tom won't tell him where they're going, and Jack believes that they're going to kill him, and they should at least have the decency to say it. Tom asks why they would kill him, and Jack says that they're now done with him. And Jack reminds Tom of having kidnapped Claire, hanging Charlie, and taking the children. But Tom insists that instead of this glass house, referring to the dividing window, he can get him stone. Although I think he said stones, and it sounded like he was referring to balls to me. (laughs) Did you not get the reference? What? When he's saying that Jack... uh is actually kind of uh, literally, not even uh, metaphorically, living in a glass house. 
because one of the the walls is obviously glass, and he's saying, uh, you know, Jack should stop throwing stones. No, 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 I I got that, but it just the way he said is he's just like, I I can get you some stones, and it just made me think of like, I'm pretty sure Jack is like the ballsiest of all the characters. (laughs) I didn't, I didn't take it like that. I just, uh, I kind of thought he was saying, you know. But long way of saying when you live in a glass house, don't throw stones because there's a, there's an argument that can be made that the others are in fact the good guys here. Yeah, depending, I was gonna, depending uh, on perspective. Yeah, I was going to put a comment on that saying Tom actually, I got the vibe he was actually a little bit upset about how Jack viewed the others. He was like, as Jack reeled off all those reasons why he hates them, Tom's there like, oh yeah, that sounds pretty bad. We're not re- <laughs> we're not really supposed to be that bad. That's just sort of unfortunate scenarios have ended up us killing you guys, I suppose. Well, yeah, it's kind of like when, when people list like all the crazy things on lost, like out of context, it just sounds insane. But if it's actually, you know, like you said, where it's just these, these circumstances that actually do fit with the situation. Yeah, exactly. That's a good analogy. They then cuff Jack and exit, and as Tom and Jack are walking down the hallway, some others are taking Juliet to now occupy Jack's cell. Jack and Juliet exchange eye contact as she says, hey, and Jack notices that she's in cuffs as well, and a strange woman is following. Yeah, do you think the reason people think this might be the worst episode is just because it has the most pointless character ever with Isabel? <laughs> or the, she's just there for one episode and nobody cares and then she disappears. I think That's, she prob- probably is the most pointless character in Lost. That is part of it. I actually made that that argument in regards to the episode right before this, the Flashes Before Your Eyes episode that uh, Desmond's friend Donovan he's basically he uh, Liam and I were saying that like he holds no purpose really in the show because he's just reiterating to Desmond things that he already knows like oh time travel sounds crazy you should marry Penny and I think if they had brought that character back in regard same as if they had brought this character back even once or made any other reference to the character it would have held a little more weight in the long run yeah I feel it's a little bit more acceptable to have a pointless character in a flashback when you're putting prime time on the island on your TV screen, I want I want proper proper well-rounded characters who are going to make a difference to the show. Yeah, it seemed like in flashbacks they did a lot of little one-off characters, so I can that's a little more understandable. And I actually had to go and double check. Like after I I watched this episode, I was like, was this really Isabel's only appearance? Like it was. Like this was one uh, one and done for her. And it, it, this kind of made me question some of the things I said in the last episode where it was like, okay, yeah, Tom's just comic relief now. And, okay, they, they got a little better idea of where they're going and what characters they're going to introduce and, and what they're going to do with them. And that really – this episode made me question both those things because Tom's back to being serious in this episode and we get introduced to Isabel and uh, Achara eventually here. Uh, and we never hear, hear or see anything from them ever again. Yeah, I think being an important member of the Others community, they know, the writers are going to know that the, the fans of the show, the hardcore fans, are going to be coming up with theories. They're going to be coming up with ideas on how she's going to come up in the future, what's her history. And when you just when she literally is pointless for the entire story arc, it's, it's, a, waste, it's a waste of time. Agreed. They should have just brought Richard in for that part. Yeah, they could have done. They really could have done. 
Yeah, that could have worked. On an island in a hut on a beach, which we find out is Thailand, clearly a flashback, Jack exits, putting his sunglasses on. A young boy who only calls him Dr. Jack comes up with a tub of cold sodas, and Jack buys two of them off of him. And uh, I was watching with the subtitles on, because it, for you, Kevin, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't remember if the... if one of them says it, but I, I do remember seeing the word sodas, and I just wanted to jokingly throw a, a reference in there for Jake, that it is soda. I don't care what the <laughs> Midwest pop. says, it's not pop. It's soda, and Lost has confirmed it. I was going to make this same damn note. I was going to throw shots at Jake, because I know how they are up in Michigan and, and throughout that area, calling it pop. And I'm like, look, even in Thailand, they're calling it soda. <laughs> I'll just add to this point, though. This beach was... Uh, I visited it both times. I was there 2014 and 2017. Um, let me see if I can pronounce it. Waimanalo Beach, but it's a beautiful beach. This time we were there, we, it was a bit overcast the day, but we actually were witnessed a couple getting married on the beach, which was really nice. Oh, that's lovely. Hmm. Where, where was that? Because I haven't gotten there. At least I don't think I did. Uh, what area of, of the island? On the sort of east side, it was quite okay. close to uh, like the the lighthouse. Uh, okay. The part where you know I think where Sawyer looks out on every man for himself when they look out at the other island, and it's got a few other scenes. It's pretty close to there. Gotcha, gotcha. Jake and I but, were there too. I wish I would have known. Yeah, uh, but in all fa- fairness, I don't think it quite compares to some of the beaches I've been to in Thailand, but it's still beautiful. Mm-hmm. Actually, I was kind of hoping that you would be able to bring the actual Thailand perspective to this episode. Yeah, I can, I can bring a lot in. I will. Unfortunately, it, it will come in as negative parts because they do do it quite badly. But yeah, so two years ago, I spent upwards of three months in Thailand. So as we go through these flashbacks, I'll see if I can add any, any insight in there for the listeners. Okay, so as I mentioned... I was listening with the, or I was watching it with the subtitles on for Kevin. And uh, it's funny because during this scene, all I got was boy speaks in Thai and continues to speak in Thai. (laughs) And here I'm hoping, I'm like, all right, I'm going to put the subtitles on. Kevin and I are going to have a really nice conversation and I I get nothing. Yep. Well, I wouldn't and, be surprised if it wasn't even Thai. They probably just got some Polynesian kid who kind of looks Thai. <laughs> that's fair. He could have been saying anything. God knows. <laughs> uh, and Jack actually tells the boy that he can't understand anything he's saying, and the boy just repeats, Dr. Jack. Dr. Jack. <laughs> a bit down the beach, Jack is trying to figure out how to put his kite together. And a woman then snickers at him before coming over and helping him out. She helps him lift the kite into the air and fly it while a beautiful score plays. And that was, you know, as much as I've referred to this episode and, and various people online have, and I think even Damon and Carlton referred it to the Jack Flies a Kite episode. As uh, This is one of those moments where as I'm watching it, I'm like, this scene means absolutely nothing to anything, but I can at least appreciate the score because the score is always fantastic. Yeah, beautiful beach in Michael Gitch, you know. I mean, I could still watch that, even if it was a really boring scene. I'm starting to think Jack may not be uh, that great with his hands. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's messed up several surgeries now at this point. Granted, he always fixes them, but he can't put a kite together. And, I'm, you know, 
Come on. Yeah, you're supposed to be a spinal surgeon here. Like, come on now. Get it together. <laughs> but this scene, uh, this did kind of remind me of my childhood because uh, going down the Jersey Shore, you always see people uh, out there flying kites, nice big fancy kites that probably are pretty difficult to put together. So it did bring me back a little. I don't mind it. And without sounding too creepy, there was a good bit of side boob here. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm actually in the, the same boat as Jack here. I don't know. I don't think I've ever flown a kite, so I would have been the exact same way as he was. It gets windy in England. I've had a few beach trips as a kid trying to fly the kites. Nothing quite as spectacular as that kite, normally the more simple ones, but yeah, I've flown my, my fair few. Not since I was a child, anyway. Uh, Jack thanks her, and she jokes that he's not from around there. And he introduces himself as Jack, and she introduces herself as Atra. And I'm not going to lie, this actress, this, I think, her being in this episode leads me to it feeling like one of the worst, because I've seen her in at least three shows, and she's in what I think is the worst episode of Lost. She's in what I think is the worst episode of Angel, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer spinoff. And she's in an incredibly bad episode of Entourage. And I know Entourage has its detractors in general, but there's an episode that she's in that I also think is one of the worst of that show as well. So I think that weighs heavily on my mind. So just going to throw that out there. So two things while we're, while we're talking about that. Um, the first being, apparently she was set to have a three-episode arc. Like, apparently she was signed on for three episodes and was going to appear again, and they decided against that, obviously, uh, in the long run. Um, and second thing being is when Damon, and, and we talked about this when we did uh, Homecoming back in season one, Paul. Uh, Damon says Homecoming's his least favorite episode. My theory on that is that he never really wanted to say Stranger in a Strange Land was his least or or... or least favorite or worst either or either way you want to look at it uh episode because he didn't write it and he just doesn't want to throw other writers on the, under the bus whereas he could throw himself under the bus if he says homecoming's his least favorite um but he also does mention unfortunate casting choices when talking about this episode and i'm not sure i assume we all assume he's talking about Biling uh with this role that they never brought her back for i after watching this, I kind of thought it may be uh, Isabel's character as well, because they just kind of dropped her, too, and her, her acting was nothing to write home about either. So Agreed. I actually be, have uh, a note about that later on, the fact that, she, I mean, like I, like you said, I, I'm not a, you know, Bai Ling, I think, was, was one of it, but I think whoever the woman is that played Isabel was definitely, you know, casting choices, plural. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of think it that might be the case because they do Damon actually went out of his way in between seasons to confirm that Isabel is dead. So they knew they weren't bringing her back under any circumstances. Like they never show her dying. They never even mention it, but Damon went out of his way in an interview to say, yeah, she's gone. So that leads me to believe there might've been a little more to the story there. Yeah. Totally convinced me, mate. Back on Hydra Island. Jack is in Sawyer's cage when Tom approaches him with food, and Jack comments how uh, Juliet used to grill the food for him, and Jack asks who the woman was that followed Juliet. 
Tom calls her the sheriff. That's uh, Isabel, as we've talked about. Jack questions that they have a sheriff. And Tom says she's not the literal sheriff, which I do love that part. Not literally. (laughs) (laughs) And Tom confirms that Juliet is in trouble when Jack asks why she got his room. Tom, and this is the part that kind of leads me to almost go against what you said earlier, Kevin, about Tom not necessarily being the comic relief because I wrote... Tom then goes fake hard ass and demands that Jack not cause trouble and stay in the cage. Jack calls him out on this and points to the camera knowing that they're watching him. And Tom chuckles as he's just like, oh, that's right. You did get into the surveillance room. <laughs> yeah. He, he, especially once, uh, once he's dead, his post, uh, post death appearances, those are definitely more, uh, intended for comic relief. He then goes, uh, he then goes to Jack and asks Jack's reasoning but I did love how he looked back almost towards where the camera was like a child to make sure that no one was watching him. When he asks Jack why he would risk everything just to let Kate and Sawyer get away. But Jack cuts him off, thanking him for the sandwich as he doesn't want to talk anymore. With Kate and Sawyer, Sawyer is rowing into the shore saying he's actually glad to see the island again. And Kate tells him to follow the shoreline and just row around until they hit their camp so they could tell Saeed and Locke what happened. But Sawyer doesn't go for this, asking if she has some sort of map to help them out. He says they have no food or water, and he can't steer in the dark. He says they'll make camp, and she can help by building a fire while he carries Carl. Yeah, Kate doesn't have a good episode here, I don't think. She's, she kind of annoys me the whole time. And Sawyer is speaking complete sense here as he explains the situation. Yeah, I agree. And she just doesn't like not being in control. She doesn't like, you know, having nowhere to run to, basically. Like, you're in a small boat in the middle of of the ocean, and there's nowhere she can go at all. And she's just, it feels like she's very annoyed by this. Yeah. Um, It reminds me uh, of of a friend of mine who... um, People who, who know me well know that I like to go on cruises. I have uh, pretty much once a year since I turned 30. Um, I have a friend who I love, but she refuses to come on a cruise ship because not not out of fear or anything, but because there's nowhere for her to run away. Like she's one of those people who uh, will even in a house party or something along those lines or a dinner gathering, she'll make a quick exit. Like when she wants to go, she, it's time for her to go. And uh, that's why when you're on a ship, there's nowhere for you to go. That's where I kind of related uh, her to Kate in this scene where it's like she has no control. She has nowhere to go. And she's being a little bitchy. So, (laughs) I mean, coming back to something that will happen later in the episode where she has a go of Sawyer for Sawyer bossing her around. But she's just full of second rate ideas in this episode every time there's something to do Sawyer comes up with the correct decision because Kate's is just wrong she's just she's full of bad ideas in this episode I definitely agree I do like the line she gets in on Sawyer though about him telling her how she's you know either following him or walking side by side with him uh but I, I can't necessarily fault her because it's the it's the thing that that I've argued with like the Jack character for the first two seasons, the fact that a lot of the times he seems to be making decisions based off of his gut instinct at the moment. And as much as I've faulted Jack, if I'm going to fault Jack, yes, I should technically fault Kate as well. 
but I, I kind of see it now. Like, I get it. She's doing, in the moment, what she thinks is right. It isn't right, but it's, in, in, in her mind, in that moment, it's just like, this is what I think should happen. Even though, as you pointed out, Sawyer has the actual right, uh, right calls. Yeah, and I think just in general, having an opinion, having an idea is better than having none at all. So I'll give her the benefit of the doubt there. I like that. I like that line. Later in the jungle, Carl is laying down looking up as Kate and Sawyer have an exchange about food, and she calls him James. And Carl tells him they shouldn't fight because they're lucky to be alive. Sawyer sarcastically replies that he has a point, and Kate begins asking if the others live on Hydra Island. Carl says they only work there on projects, and Sawyer once again references stealing Walt from the raft. And I think good for him, because he's never letting that go. Yeah, these are such vague answers from Carl. It's just that typical interrogation um, for the for the TV viewers, isn't it? Trying to get answers. They're asking all the questions the viewers are asking, yet yeah, you just get vague answers. And Sawyer really does not ever let that go, too, until that final showdown between him and Tom. Like he said, when he says, me and you ain't done Zeke, like until they are done. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I really, he's except for Jin, he's the only character left who has that sort of fighting thing, like in regards to the others, because yeah, they've done some horrible things, but like he was there. They literally tried to blow him up in that moment. Yep. And and look at what it costs too. Like my, Michael going so far to get his son back ends up, you know, killing even more people. So, agreed. Uh, Kate changes back to where the others live on this island. She asks what happened to the kids and the other people they took, and Carl says that they gave him. Or I'm sorry, that they gave them a better life than what the survivors have. And Carl mentions how the stars will be out and how he and Alex used to lay in his backyard making up names for the constellations. And I just, and I mean, they reference it later on, but I just love Sawyer's thing of like, you guys have backyards? <laughs> that night at the cages on Hydra, Jack tries out the food gizmo and hears the warning voice and he looks around nervously. After hitting it a second time, he gives up before seeing Juliet and some guards approach him. She says how they let her out to examine Ben, and she shows Jack an image of his stitches and asks if they're infected, which Jack confirms. When she asks if he'll come look at Ben, he replies in the negative, and she says that it isn't for Ben, it isn't for the others, but as a personal favor for her. Jack mentions how she's once again asking him to save Ben's life. He asks if she's sure, and if this is because Ben said that he'd let her leave, but she replies that it's because she's in trouble. She says how she killed someone, but she will not confirm who. And he reiterates that he won't help Ben and won't help her before she walks away. Correct me if either of you know more about um, medical stuff than me, but surely Juliet could deal with an infection. It's like Doctor 101. You just, I don't think Jack is any more qualified to deal with Ben having an infection than, well, yeah. I think Juliet could probably deal with it, basically. You would think so, but I, I think you're glossing over the, the major uh, point from this uh, whole conversation here. Like, you say Jack gives up on getting a fish biscuit. When does Jack give up on anything? I thought that was so weird that for him to just push that button twice and be like, eh, you know what, never mind, and he just walks away from it. Like, I, I feel like there's an alternate cut of this scene where it's like him screaming at, at the complicated gizmo saying, give me a fish biscuit, damn it. And he presses it and just gets, you know, electrocuted and knocked across the cage. 
Well, does he <laughs> does he know that that's what it does, or does he just pressing it because it's just like, oh, this is a strange button? Uh, he probably doesn't know, but you know, in my story, he does. <laughs> <laughs> that's a cool. That's a cool idea. I would. I would like to see that scene. Uh, to answer what Andy was saying, though, uh, as Jack, I mean, yes, in theory, she probably could have looked at the infection, but as Jack actually says later on, he has to go back in and cut certain things out because it appears that the infection has gotten into his system. It's not just like a surface thing. So if it was just like, if the infection wasn't as bad, she probably could have handled it, but perhaps she realized that it was worse than anything that she could handle, and that's why she went to him. Yeah, that, that's probably true. But it was just the way that she often goes, shows Jack the phone, and goes, "It's infected, right?" And like almost like she wasn't sure if it was infected or not. I was like, you can obviously tell it's infected. Uh, yeah, I'll give you that. In flashback, a waiter brings Jack and Atra a special Thai dish. Jack eats it, and the waiter jokes that he's very brave. She comments how her brother approves of him. And she then asks why he doesn't know how to fly a kite, and he says that he never learned. He says how his dad wasn't the sort to show him, always working, but she cuts him off saying she doesn't want to know about his father. And he says he's glad because he doesn't want to talk about his father, which I thought was interesting because I believe Jake and I talked about it, and I don't remember if I've talked with either of you guys about it, but the concept of this episode as a whole, like in terms of the flashbacks, a lot of the, the flashbacks seem to be, like we've, we've often said, you know, Locke, they focus on his father. Sun and Jin, they focus on her father. Jack, it focuses on his father. Kate, it focuses on her running away from the marshal. And people would always say, like, oh, I want more for these characters. I want a little more development or whatever. And then we finally get that. We get an episode where Jack's father doesn't appear in the flashbacks. Very early on, he says, like, okay, fine, we're not going to talk about him. And then it was extremely poorly received. This was his first flashback as well, without where Christian wasn't present. I read that. Okay, and going on to Thai stuff, as you were saying, I, I spent some time there. Um, I, they were, everybody in the restaurant was using chopsticks, and they were using chopsticks. And I think that's a bit of a misconception, because most Thai people don't use chopsticks. They eat with their hands or with a spoon. And I think... Unfortunately, as I was noticing, there is a lot of, I'm not going to call it like racism because it's definitely not racism, but there's a lot of the whole episode. You're just watching them having Jack in China and there's just Jack in Thailand and there's just so much sort of Chinese going on. That, um, generic that, Asian. Generic Asian yeah. is my point. I yeah. think as an American TV show looking over there, I'm just looking at it and think, they just thrown them in some country and it's just going to be this Asian fusion. Cause like they go on Jack's tattoos are Chinese. They're eating with chopsticks. That's extremely Chinese. I'm not saying that Thai people don't eat with chopsticks, but in general, they'll eat with a spoon or with their hands. Um, and I just, in general, that was go There was a bit of that going on this episode. A lot of Asian stereotypes there, but you know, either way, that Thai food was kind of making me hungry as I was watching this, especially Thai iced tea. Love that. <laughs> I actually ordered some Thai takeaway the other day. Love it. Same. My favorite, one of my favorite cuisines. I have literally I, nothing to contribute to this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you got nothing on this one, do you, Paul? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Out of all the places in Thailand I went, um, so they're in Phuket here, um, which is like the one place I didn't really visit because apparently it was just full of tourists and not that genuine at all. But it's just one of those places that people know is Phuket or Bangkok. Um, 
Um, and I do hear a real Thai word go on here. They say one of them says Sawadee Cup, which means, well, just a greeting. Hello, goodbye, good morning. All the mm-hmm. same sort of stuff. Ped, ped, ped. That's what you say if you want it spicy. They say, you say ped, ped means spicy, spicy. Or my ped means no spice. That's the only, they're the two important things you need. I feel like that is what Kevin would need. <laughs> like that's... Yep, exactly. Like, <laughs> catch on quick. Uh, definitely ped, ped. Yeah. But in general, my point, my point coming from all of this is the fact that if they were going to give Jack Chinese tattoos, which he has, why did they not put this flashback in China? They put it in Thailand and they've given him Chinese tattoos. I just kind of, that, that was my point. I just don't like this sort of mixture. I think that here. has to do with they probably messed up earlier when him and Sawyer were playing poker and they mentioned about Phuket and, you know, that he says something about, is that where you got the ink? I would assume they probably messed up back then and then they just had to, to work it out here. That's probably, that's probably exactly what they did. Yeah. 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 And, and to your point, uh, Paul, about them giving us something different in, in terms of flashbacks, like this is kind of a payoff episode because the, his Jack's tattoos were mentioned twice previously, at least. Uh, once with Kate, and then once, as you were saying, uh, when he played poker with Sawyer. So they they did pay something off in the long term here and show you how Jack got his tattoos. So can't yeah. bitch about it too much, right? Yeah, like I said, I, I mean, and again, you and I know this from, from coming in late and, and having read certain things, that I guess that was like a big question because people, and I think Andy and I have talked about this at various points, where it's like people would say like, oh, yeah, well, why does a surgeon have tattoos? As if that was like the most unheard of thing in 2004, like for a surgeon to have tattoos. <laughs> and then they mentioned it twice, as you said. And then all of a sudden they were like, well, I guess we got to I guess we got to make an entire episode out of it. Like, I think it was more the fans than than other people, because I, I actually tried to, after this episode, search through some old dark UFO forums to try and see if I could find the old theories on Jack's tattoos because there were I can remember reading quite a few um obviously they're all jokes but like a lot of people were trying to guess how he got his tattoo so I think they were trying to give something back to the fans with this episode as well even and it might not have worked <laughs> or it didn't work particularly well yeah at the same time uh I saw a quote from Carlton Cuse uh saying that we did a show on Jack's tattoos and that's how desperate we were for flashbacks like he he used the term desperate so there obviously was a, a little chaos in the writer's room he also said this episode is cringeworthy i'm not sure i'd go that far um, yeah, maybe i'm i'm just an apologist here i guess i think there are parts that are cringeworthy but not the episode as a whole fair yeah this is actually jack's last flashback i think obviously he has lots more centric episodes but solely his own I think he shares some flashbacks with Jacob and stuff in season five uh, finale. Right. It might actually, I think this is his final flashback episode. I might be wrong. Um, nah, I, I, I think you're right. I believe that's right. What a sad send off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he has his flash forwards in the finale of this season, which is fantastic. But again, not flashback. So she asks if he's in Phuket to find himself and comments that she uh, believes this because he's American. 
A man then approaches her and gives her a thick envelope, and they exchange words in Thai. Jack looks at all of this curiously, and she tells him how she has a gift, and he replies, based on the size of the envelope, that it must be some gift. Gift, And I'm not sure about anyone else. And I think they were, I always thought they were trying to set it up. I 100% thought she was a prostitute first time watching this. Like, no doubt in my mind, she's a, like, he's dating a a Taiwanese, or not Taiwanese, I'm sorry, a a Thai uh, prostitute. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, she is, um, it's strange. She looks like she's gorgeous, but there's something about her which I just don't find attractive. And I quite like Thai girls, um, for the most part. Um, you just always have to check their feet first. That's how you know if they're a ladyboy or not. It's like, if they've got big feet, <laughs> there's probably something else going on there. <laughs> that's, that's, how I, that's how I worked it out, anyway. That's the, okay, there you go, Kevin. That's the things you yeah. need to know. Spicy <laughs> and check the Ped feet. Ped, Ped, yeah, and the feet. feet. On the hand. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> And is she actually Thai, though? Is Bai Ling Thai? Do we know this? I don't know. Yeah, or are they just playing fast and loose with the whole Asian fusion actress thing? Unfortunately, I think that's probably the case. But Yeah, I, I probably. I would say so, too. And if she's not, they definitely want you to think she's a hooker. If not a hooker, at, at the very least, uh, one of the uh, quote-unquote masseuses. Go get a happy ending from her. Yeah, I'm. I'm very. As someone who spends uh, a lot of time in Chinatown in Philly and a lot of time in Atlantic City, I'm very familiar. You see that purple neon light, you know that's uh, that's where you you want to go or don't want to yeah. go. In my case, if this was a cable TV show. The tattoo parlor probably would have had a massage place yeah. going in the back. Exactly. Fortunately, it was exactly. ABC, so they probably kept that bit out. <laughs> uh, maybe that was going to be her next uh, her next arc in, in one of the other two episodes <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was exactly. going to be in. Back at night in his cage, Jack is approached by the strange woman, the sheriff, Isabel, and she looks at him and speaks Chinese. He doesn't understand, and she says that she's reading his tattoos. She says the five and the stars are cute, and of course the five has a meaning for both the actor and the character, but the Chinese is a bit ironic considering his current circumstances. She asks if he's sure that he knows what it says because Chinese can be tricky, and he adamantly confirms that he knows what it says. She introduces herself as Isabel and asks him to come with her and answer some questions. I love that delivery on that line where he says, I know what it says. Like, that's that's one of uh, Matthew Fox's good lines right there. Good delivery on the line, at least. I much prefer when he says it at the end. When he says about, you know, that's what it says, but it's not what it means. Right. Yeah. 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 Inside part of the Hydra station, she and Jack are walking as Alex is being led out. Isabel says for her to check on her father, but she seems uninterested. She then leads Jack into a room where Tom and Juliet are also sitting. Isabel confirms to Jack that the others don't live on the Hydra island and most of them don't even like going there. She says she's investigating an incident and wants his clarification. She asks Tom if it's true that mid-surgery, Jack stopped and said that Juliet asked him to kill Ben. Tom seems incredibly uncomfortable, but confirms this to be true. She then asks Jack if this is what happened. Jack takes a moment to answer, and Isabel pressures him and asks again. Jack finally says that it isn't true, and how he knew that if he played the others against each other, he could get his friends saved. 
definitely looks like they're in a an old school locker room or something in or like in like the walking dead or something as well <laughs> it just looks like a video game this little this little room that they're in now, is it just me or does Juliet look extra good in this scene for some reason? No. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Her hair's all messed up and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure what it is. And, and I think I've said this before where uh, initially when I watched the series, I was probably closer to uh, your guys' age. Uh, and I didn't think much of, of Juliet. But now watching it almost a decade later uh, from an older man's perspective, I'm like, damn, she kind of looks pretty damn good her but, eyes just uh, pop in this scene yeah yeah and uh it kind of made me uh after watching this it made me want to go revisit gia if you've ever <laughs> seen that yeah. isabel angrily asks jack why he's lying for juliet but instead of answering he simply says that he'd like to go back to his cage why wouldn't he lie for her i mean she helped sawyer and kate escape and he gets on well with her yeah, she she killed a man to to help him. So yeah, I could see. I think Jack doesn't know that yet, though, does he? Or does he? Has he just found that out? Uh, well, she well, said that knows, she killed somebody. She killed somebody, which which again was kind of unlike Jack to to pressure her or not pressure her to find out who it was, because for all he knows, it could have been Kate or Sawyer, right? Uh, yeah. But I guess he's kind of under the assumption that she's stuck to her word and. Uh, killed one of her own so maybe maybe he kind of put it all together we'll give yeah, him some credit the way the way he's about to deliver that line saying why why are you lying for her and i just thought to myself i think there's more reason for jack to help her out than there would be for jack to dob her in so that was just what crossed my mind but see i think we're looking at it from the perspective um i mean because think about it like ben even says later she doesn't care about you jack like in in reality yeah like she did help him she killed one of her own to help uh kate and sawyer escape but as far as jack should be concerned she is still the enemy she is still one of them no matter what she's done all of these times because even when in the surgery and he looks at her and he's just like, oh, isn't this what you wanted? You wanted me to kill him. And she's just like immediately turns back on him. And she's just like, Tom, he's lying. I don't know what he's talking about, whatever. So she was instantly ready to throw him under the bus in that situation. So I think it, I think there is something to the why is he still on her side when time and again, uh, uh, Kevin, you and I talked about it in a previous episode. We never know who, like where she's where her loyalties lie. That especially at this point, we're really, we really don't know. But in the end, we do kind of find out she has a lot more in common with the uh, crash survivors than she does with the others. She's very much there, you know, against her, her will. Yeah. But like whatever her motivations are in that moment, you know, it's it's up for debate. We could talk about it forever, but she doesn't want to be there. We can agree on that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm oh, not, yeah. I'm yeah. Not crazy. But I'm just saying <laughs> to answer to answer Andy's question of like when you know like why would Isabel like what you know like realistically he thinks that Jack should be lying for her. I I don't necessarily think that's the case because we don't know exactly where she's coming from because even as I believe it was Liam questioned, did Ben set her up to have that that videotape where she asked Jack to. uh 
you know, to, to sabotage the surgery? And was that just another form of manipulation? And I don't think Jack is thinking that way. But I think we could we could question that and we would still say, well, OK, so then where does her loyalty lie? And if we're questioning that, then the question should be, well, yeah, why is Jack lying for her? Listen, yeah. m- maybe 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 Jack's just an OG and he ain't no snitch. All right. <laughs> it is, I think don't, don't question why a man ain't snitching. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's enemy versus enemy. And Juliet is just the lesser of two evils at this point in time in Jack's mind. Yeah, for sure. And I've, I mean, there, there has to be, a, to go along with what you said, Kevin, there has to be like a Stitches doctor joke in there, but my brain just isn't <laughs> functioning. <laughs> uh. In flashback, Atra enters Jack's hut at night, waking him up and surprising him. They begin to kiss as he tells her that they've known each other for at least a month now and he'd like to know something about her. She says how things, like her gift, uh... <laughs> are things that he'd never understand. As they kiss, they roll off the bed, and she asks why things just can't stay say, stay the same. They both want to have fun. And I'm not going to lie. And again, maybe it's just because I don't like the actress, but like her delivery on the line, let's just have fun, Like her mouth doesn't move. She looks like a fish, and it just it angers me. Yeah, my, my only comment here is that her bra size is three cups too small. <laughs> That's well, just, I'm sure that's intentional. Yeah, I'm sure it is too. <laughs> she says, uh, "Stop asking questions. Let's have fun." That's that's most guys' dream scenario. There, like, shut up, Jack. <laughs> and uh, one other thing that I got to throw in before we uh, continue, she really goes in for that kiss. Like, it might have been her her <laughs> method of kissing that got her fired. <laughs> Because you said she barely opens her mouth to talk, but she opens her mouth when she goes in for that kiss. She's very wide mouth and very tonguey with those kisses. I did notice, notice that. <laughs> Lost does that a lot, though. They, they they really go for the tonguey kisses. None of this pretend pantomime kiss on the lips with no yeah, tongue. There's always yeah, I always think back to season one when sawyer's been interrogated saeed's just stabbed him and then he gets that kiss from kate and that is just like oh, it's never seen city so much time on television yeah and uh i gotta throw this in too uh now when i do my research here i obviously i watch the episode i take some notes i read lostpedia and if i have time i'll go back and try and listen to uh ryan ozawa's uh old transmission podcasts to get the perspective of what people were saying at the time that it actually came out with no additional information of what was coming down the road. Um, Ryan apparently was on vacation and, and wasn't doing podcasts at the time this aired. So I went to another podcast called the lost initiative. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that, uh, that came, that was being done at the time live. I'm not plugging another podcast, Paul, uh, no, but, actually, uh, that's one of the few that I haven't heard of. There's a lot that I have heard of, but I don't think I've ever heard of that one. Yeah. So I, I did a search for a Stranger in a Strange Land. I came up with the Lost Initiative, which I had heard of before. It's two girls, uh, Amy and Kimberly. And <laughs> um, Achara, when she first comes into the tent here, uh, Jack says, your mouth is salty. She's like, oh, yeah, I just took a dip in, in the ocean. And they had a different theory on why her mouth might have tasted salty. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, to, to me, like, I, I consider myself to have a dirty mind, and it went right over my head. 
I don't know if the writers threw that in there intentionally, especially being they're trying to make you think right now that she's a hooker. Yeah, but, no, I never thought. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I think I have uh, quite the dirty mind as well, and I never went there. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Yeah, so I just found it found it funny that the two female writers who wrote this show and the two female podcasters—that's where their mind went. Well, they're, the, they're the ones that have to have the salty mouth, though, aren't they? We don't know <laughs> have to deal with that. I suppose so. <laughs> uh. Jack then wakes up in his cage with several others staring at him. He angrily questions all of them, and this is the Jack that I know and don't like where he's just like constantly angry, the heavy breathing like this is to me, this is Jack. And like you said, Kevin, like certain things earlier in the episode seemed a little unlike him. This seems like a total Jack scene to me. Yeah. This is the Jack I was expecting trying to get a fish biscuit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd, I thought about this a bit and I was looking at ang- angry Jack thinking, well, this is when Matthew Fox is at his best acting. And do you, I, I believe they do Angry Jack so much in Lost because he's so good at it and it's so entertaining. I wonder if originally Jack was supposed to be this angry when they originally wrote his character or just they realized Matthew Fox played this role so well, they ended up making him more angry. Uh, to me, it's not so much the anger, like especially in terms of like what I don't necessarily like about the character. It's not so much the anger, it's... Every time he gets even, like, intense, and I don't necessarily just mean that, again, not from an angry perspective, because even when he's trying to save Boone's life, and he's, like, pale, extremely sweaty, and he just, I think it's almost every scene where he has any of that deep breathing, and I've, I've referenced it before, they made a, a really good joke about it on Family Guy once, where they said about, you know, the island from Lost, and it shows Jack, and he's, like, he's breathing so heavily, and he, it, his speech just becomes <laughs> giant breaths, and he has to breathe into a brown paper bag and whatever, and that's what I always think of, it's because it's just every Every time he gets even a little intense, not so much angry, but it just, I don't know what it is. It just bugs me. It's like, just get your sentence out, buddy. And I say that as someone who stutters while talking. Yeah, I, I sided with Andy a, a little earlier, but I'm on your side on this one, Paul. I actually wrote, uh, like I said, I like Jack's delivery on the the tattoo line where he's like, I know what that means. Uh, I didn't love his line where he, you know, his semi-famous line or infamous line here where he says, go watch it. <laughs> wasn't a big fan of that line. I, I much prefer the cool, common, collected Jack, but obviously both have their merit. Okay, so Cindy comes up to the cage, and she, her and Jack kind of give us a refresher of who she is, flight attendant from 815. Uh, she's actually the one that gave him the extra booze, and she was a tailie because he mentions that he thought that she was kidnapped. He asks why she's there. she and the rest of them are there, and they say that they're there to watch. And Emma... And actually, you see Zach in the background, the kids, come up, and Emma whispers something to Cindy, and Cindy relays to Jack that they want to know if Ana Lucia is okay. And he gets very upset before asking if she's serious, because clearly they don't know what went down. And he then yells, as you said earlier, Kevin, that if they have something to watch, go watch it. Emma needs an orthodontist appointment. Oh, she's a child! (laughs) (laughs) They they need, a, well, listen, they, they, they lost their surgeon. They need to find an orthodontist, too. Well, they, oh, got, yeah, they got Bernard. They need to go, to go get him. There, there you go. 
back on the island in the jungle. Kate is just waking up. Sawyer's still asleep, but she notices that Carl is gone. She wakes up uh, Sawyer, and they go looking for him. They hear him crying not too far away, and Sawyer that's, uh, says that he'll talk to him, boys only. As he approaches Carl, he punches him in the arm, and Sawyer says that he needs to cowboy up, which I've noticed Sawyer says this quite a lot, but it just made me think about how... I don't know if it's the same with you guys, but for a while, mostly like when I was in high school, a uh, thing that my friends and I used to say was always man up, man up. And I definitely wish cowboy up would have caught on better. Cowboy up's definitely a better line than man up. Yeah. And I, 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 I had mentioned this uh, a couple episodes ago, and I, I love this uh, little boys only club, the dynamic between uh, Sawyer and Carl. I enjoyed this a lot. For the most part, the survivors are way tougher than the others, though, aren't they? <laughs> when you look back on it, pound for pound, they only the others only had a couple of like really tough people. Whereas the survivor group actually have, if they went head to head, I think the survivors would have would have smashed them. Like a straight on fist, but I don't know though because I feel like the straight, others like 40, forty against forty head to head. I don't think the others would stand much of a chance. Because don't we see some of the others, not all of them, but we see some of them know, like, I don't know, the different styles of, you know, like, uh, Kung Fu or Krav Maga, but, like, we see that they know, like, things like that, don't they? We've got Saeed and Jin. They'll nail anyone. Mikhail is the only real dangerous one, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm going with Saeed and Jin on this one. Yeah, fair enough. On a side note, what, what what did Carl do? to need to be killed so much was it just being in love with alex or did he actually do something else because well, it no, seems be- a bit well no it's because ben knows and that's why he brought juliet there that the women anybody who gets pregnant dies so ben was just so fearful that his daughter would get pregnant if she was sleeping around with this kid that ben was just like i don't want this kid anywhere near my daughter potentially getting her pregnant i might as well just you know keep him as far away as possible yeah, that makes sense, but it's still, it's still a bit overkill. I mean, no pun intended there. But it's Ben. It is Ben. You're right. There's a gloss over that. <laughs> uh, Sawyer does mention crying in the jungle is strange for people who are supposed to be tough, as we were just talking about. And he shoves Sawyer, declaring, almost like a child, that he is tough. But Sawyer calls him Bobby, and Carl doesn't understand. Sawyer tells him it's a Brady Bunch reference, and Carl questions what the Brady Bunch is. And just like Sawyer, my heart broke a little bit. And I know previously, Andy, we talked, and you had no idea what Mr. Ed was. And I understand even certain people my age wouldn't know that because that is quite an older thing. And as Jake likes to point out, I'm an incredibly old man. Does the Brady Bunch reference mean anything to you? Well, I've heard of it, but I've got literally no idea what it is. My heart just broke a little more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely, there's 30 years uh, of difference there uh, between the Brady Bunch and, and, and Andy, plus a whole ocean apart, so. It's got 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb, so it doesn't sound like I'm <laughs> I wouldn't factor in IMDb ratings uh, very much for the Brady Bunch. <laughs> that kind of uh, classic Americana doesn't necessarily mean it's good. Yeah, I mean, it. I, you're right, like, because it is very much like an American thing. Even if he watched it, I don't think it would have, I don't think it would. Play, I wouldn't, but... I would, I wouldn't even expect you to know it in all honesty, Paul. Like, I caught the tail end, like when it was at the tail end of 
like syndication in one of these days, I'm gonna like stop. That. One of these days, you're gonna stop being surprised by how much quote no, unquote no, no, old no, school stuff you. I know. <laughs> I'm not saying you. I know you go out of your way to know some of this stuff. But I'm. I would wager that the vast majority of people your age don't know it either. Even the ones here in our country where it was popular. That's true. I, I mean, it was mostly because when I was growing up, I watched a lot of what my parents watched. We watched a lot of uh, TV land. And for a, lo- for a long time, we didn't have cable. So it was just whatever was on the local syndication, especially like during the day or at night where it would be, you know, old school Brady Bunch, because that's what my parents would much rather watch that than anything else. So like, that's how I know what Mr. Ed is, what the Brady Bunch is, and, you know, a lot of the other old-timey references on this and other shows for me it was like uh get home from school in that like four to six p.m time slot uh i caught the tail end of like when the brady bunch was in those were in those hours uh and then eventually it moved to like saved by the bell and stuff like that yeah because actually in a few episodes, I believe it is Sawyer makes a Little House on the Prairie reference. And that's actually one that I know as well because my dad used to love that show. And I hated it, but he would always just have it on whenever I came home from school. That's what he would watch on the local PBS station. And I was just like, this is so boring. No one cares about frontier life, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't, uh, I was aware of Little House, but I never, never watched it. You can make references to it that I probably wouldn't get. Um, but yeah, Sawyer, he makes a lot of these references and, and I feel it's appropriate for his age at the time. Like he, the Brady Bunch and Little House and uh, Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, like those were it's a very strange, that... though, because we, we talked about it the last time, and I think it was when the Sheena thing came up, I said how there are certain times where, like, he'll reference Star Wars, but then other times where he flat-out questions certain things about Star Wars, and he knows certain books, like, he, he referenced, you know, Of Mice and Men when talking with Ben, but then when Ben quoted the book back to him, he didn't know. So I wonder if a lot of his knowledge is just generic pop culture knowledge and i'm not saying he's not educated because like we know he he dropped out of school but he he does read a lot but i just wonder if certain times he's just glancing at things or he's just kind of gotten like a generic okay so i can i can like i don't watch walking dead but i know a little bit about it that if somebody was having a conversation i can chime in with a point every so often so i wonder if if his pop culture knowledge is like that that on the surface knowledge uh, of things. But then once you go deeper, like I know what a Wookiee is in star Wars, but if you, you know, start talking about what planet they're from, then you've lost me. Seriously. Yeah. I actually do know that one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think, I think we've completely lost Andy at this point. Yeah. You did lose me a bit. Yeah. But you did bring, you did bring something up, Paul, that job. memory. I like that. (laughs) You, you jogged a memory in me uh, that you mentioned it's about Sawyer being a dropout. And Andy, uh, it was probably a season one episode where you guys were talking about Sawyer being a dropout. And you were, and Andy questioned, how is Sawyer that smart? I like to think of myself as a somewhat intelligent guy. I think I come across as such. Maybe I'm wrong. Depends on your perspective. I dropped out of school in, in, uh, when I was 15 years old in the 10th grade. A lot of people don't know that about me. 
But just throwing it out there, you can be intelligent and be a dropout. No, of course you can. Fair enough, mate. That is <laughs> impressive. When did when did Sawyer drop out? At the same similar age or younger than that? Yeah, uh, say uh, from what we gather, I think right around the same time, probably. I think he's. I think he said ninth grade. Yeah. Maybe that was just me being English and not knowing what they meant. Because I suppose fifteen isn't isn't that young, is it? I mean, you've done a lot of education by that point. Yeah, yeah. I you're but, an adult by that well, almost almost an adult. Uh, Sawyer then tells Carl how he's been with a lot of girls, and every so often, one who's worth the trouble comes along, and he questions if Alex, and he calls her Sally Slingshot because it is a slingshot, Andy. Uh, is the girl that Carl loves. <laughs> he says that he does, and Sawyer encourages him to go fight for her then. Carl says that if he's caught, they'll kill him for sure this time, and Sawyer smiles and tells him that at least it'll be worth it. Sally Slingshot, one of the better uh, nicknames he's come up with, I think. Could be Claire Catapult. <laughs> <laughs> uh, were you thinking of that this whole time? You were silent? <laughs> No, if I had spent more time, I would have used a better word, than, a better name than Claire. <laughs> <laughs> but you get my point. Yeah. <laughs> Back on Hydra, Alex knocks the camera out and asks Jack why he saved Ben. And Jack questions if she's Ben's daughter. He says that he'll answer her question if she answers his. And he wants to know where Juliet is. And Alex confirms that she's with the rest of the others having her verdict read. And Alex mentions how they're strict about killing a fellow other. And I believe she quotes an eye for an eye. And he asks her who she killed. And she confirms the man who was going to murder your friends. And I was thinking about it. And I don't think Jack and Pickett ever had that much interaction that if somebody had said Pickett or Danny, that he would have even known who that was. I think they were pretty uh, well separated. And uh, she realizes... Uh, She knowingly, I'm sorry, he realizes that she knowingly risked her own life to help him and his, well, to help his friends escape. And Alex demands to know why Jack saved Ben. And he replies that he did it because that he said that he would. As she goes to walk away, he asks if Ben is still in charge and if he could stop Juliet's execution. She confirms this and he asks to get out of the cage. I felt after all of the answers that um, that Alex had just given Jack, it was a really lame and, and under... <laughs> uh, well, just a, like a lame answer. Just Jack saying, I saved her because I said I would. It's just like, Alex is probably like going, oh, great. I didn't really answer what I came here to find out. But, all right. <laughs> that just seems kind of Jack to me, though. Like that it he- is, unfortunately. That, uh, yeah, it was a very Jack answer, uh, the fact that he's a man of his word. And I, I admire that. That's, you know, one of the best things you could be, in my opinion, is a man of your word. I've done many things that I didn't necessarily want to do just because I had said I would or I promised somebody that I would uh, do something. So I get that. Trust and loyalty is, a, is probably, if not the most desirable or greatest trait humans can have really isn't it i mean we're a very community-based species you if you if you can trust somebody um or you can be trusted it will get you a long long way agreed 
100% agree. Moments later, in the OR, random medical other is about to inject a needle into Ben's spine. But, <laughs> but Jack bursts in saying not to, and Ben jokes that the cavalry has arrived. As Jack checks Ben's back, Ben notices Alex is with him, and he seems a little disappointed. Jack claims that he'd be more impressed with the others if they had a surgeon, and Ben says that they did have a surgeon. His name was Ethan. Yeah, I'm not sure why it felt like this, considering the scenarios and who who had the power in the room, but it felt like a bit of a burn statement from Ben, didn't it? <laughs> like, really dug deep there. Yeah, and, and it was a good one. And they're holding... I, I find it funny that they hold Jack responsible for that, you know, to, to some degree. Or even, you know, they hold them all responsible when it was really the actions of one one guy. Like, Charlie did that. Nobody and, else really wanted to pump however many bullets they pumped into him. I forget. Well, doesn't yeah, that go along with being the leader in Jack's case? Isn't that one of those yeah. drawbacks of being the leader, especially in a situation like this where kind of like that's been Pickett's whole thing of even though it was Son who shot uh, um, what's uh, his wife? I can't remember her name at the moment. But even Colleen. though – what is it? Colleen, I believe. Yes, it was. Thank you. Uh, despite the fact that it was Son that shot her, Sawyer and Kate were there at the moment. So he was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot one of them. Yeah, I think you've also got to understand that they probably, the others probably didn't realize what Ethan had been doing to them. He was kind of doing it off his own bat. He'd lost Claire himself, and Ethan went back to, um, to try and get her back and ended up killing people in the process. But it's not like, it's like how Ben spoke to Michael at the end of season two, where Ben was saying, well, because Ben didn't ask Michael to kill Anna Lucia or... Um, or Libby, it was Michael's decision. It was almost it was the same scenario with Ethan, um, and they might not even be aware of how nasty, how brutish Ethan was to them in season one. Actually, then, if that's the thinking with that logic, then that could play back into Jack being upset moments ago when confronting Cindy about when one of the kids asks how Anna Lucia is, because to him. All everything that led up to Ana Lucia's death is because of the others. When in reality, it was just Michael trying to get to his ultimate goal, and they didn't really have De- anything to do with it. Definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Jack then tells Ben about the infection on his back and how he probably needs to open him up, clean it out, and be closely monitored. And he says there are many risks. Ben, as many before him claims that Jack has terrible bedside manner. <laughs> and I love that that's a well that they keep going back to. And Jack jokes that Ben is stuck with him because he can get him back to good health. And I, I wrote that the very first time that I watched this, I thought, and I really did, until a moment later when, because uh, I, I think I actually paused it the first time I was watching it, until a moment later when Ben says, what's it going to cost me this time? I was almost sure that Jack was changing completely because of course I didn't have the full well-rounded thing of you know Jack's Jack as a character but I thought he was volunteering to stay with the others permanently due to wanting to be a hero and fix things I think uh, the point here is that he wants Ben to be a man of his word the same way that he Jack was oh absolutely 
Absolutely. Like he's saying, uh, you know, you said you would send Juliet home. You said you would send me home. I was a man of my word. You do the same. Yeah. And taking a little bit of a different approach on this scene, um, being the master manipulator that we know Benjamin Linus is, is this a ploy from him the whole time? Because I don't believe Ben was, would ever let Juliet die because Ben loves Juliet. It's like his favorite member of his, of his clan. Um, I almost feel like the, the whole thing was a ploy. And then Ben knew that this was just another way to get Jack to, to help out. It's entirely Depending. possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I, as you were saying it, I'm like, that is possible. And realistically, if we want to, if we want to go that way, that could kind of lend to why Isabel doesn't show any damn emotion throughout the whole thing, because it was all an act anyway. Yeah. Or it's just terrible acting. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they could have done, and I, I know they did do a couple, but they could have probably done a lot more of those little lost missing pieces things uh, for what was really going on behind the scenes or in Ben's head or between Ben and Juliet. Yeah. I kind of wish that, I mean, I do like the fact that, you know, over 10 years, 10 years later, we can still debate was this part of Ben's plan or whatever. But of course that's one of those things where I kind of wish like, you know, I wish they would have given us a definitive answer. It all worked out in the end. Ben asks what Jack wants in return for this favor, and he demands that Ben put a stop to Juliet's execution, and Ben jealously claims that she doesn't care about Jack because she's one of them. And he confirms uh, the deal by asking Alex for for help in delivering this message. In flashback, Jack is following Achara through the red light district. At least that's what it appeared to be to me. Well, am I Kosan wrong? Road, the famous road in Bangkok with all of that sort of stuff on. All the bars and the naughty places. I'm not sure. I'm sure the one in Phuket has a very similar name. There you go. <laughs> she enters a shop down an alley, and he follows not far behind. Inside, he sees a tattoo parlor, and she catches him. He questions what this is and how a tattoo parlor doesn't seem like a big secret. She says that her gift is that she can read people, see who they are, and she's not a tattoo artist. Her work isn't decoration, it's definition. And of course, he doesn't quite believe this because that seems more of the spiritual, you know, faith sort of thing versus the science sort of thing. And he, but he demands that she tells him who he is. She says that she can't because he's an outsider. After he confronts her and scares her, she says that he's a leader, but lonely and angry, and he then demands that she mark him as such. She tells him once again that she cannot, but then she relents and says that if she does, there will be consequences, but he doesn't care. Yeah, this could have been a powerful scene, but I just didn't care, unfortunately. They didn't, she didn't sell me on it, her acting. Yeah, and you kind of know it's coming the whole, the whole time too, right? Yeah, yeah. Because he's been focused about his tattoos. Yeah, Yeah. I have a question. I don't know here. Are you allowed to show um, like alcohol and stuff on television? Because I was just looking at this. It was very much an Americanism again that Jack's just drinking out of a brown paper bag, and nobody on the planet other than Americans drink out of brown paper bags. And I was thinking, in Thailand, you do not need to drink out of a brown paper bag. But then I thought maybe (laughs) it's TV. Maybe I thought it was for TV. It's like 
are you allowed to show somebody drinking of? Well, the brown paper bag thing is just because in public in America, unless it's that one section of uh, New Orleans, as far as I know, you're not allowed to drink in public or, you know, you're not supposed to drink in public. And I believe it was uh, the wire that taught us that that's where the brown paper bag thing comes into play. Um, but no, I'm pretty sure you could show drinking. You just like that's why they like they can't show like hardcore drug use, but I'm pretty sure we've you know they show drinking all the time on network television. Yeah, listen, I uh, I, I watch a lot of wrestling. Stone Cold Steve Austin chugged several beers on TV. So that was cable though. <laughs> but yes, uh, <laughs> cheers, cheers. Then yeah, yeah, the entire show set in a bar for sure. Yeah, I'm not sure what the deal was with the brown paper bag, though. You're, you're absolutely right. That seems like a little uh, continuity or, wow, well, not yeah. continuity error, but... Um, Americanism. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Why the hell would you have a brown paper bag and when you could just walk around with a drink anywhere in Thailand? Yeah. And with that, the biggest mystery is solved. In Lost, how did Jack get his tattoos? Uh uh, I will say, though, and I actually made sure that I wrote it down, as she begins, we get what I think is probably one of the best cuts, scene transitions uh, in the entire show when we see his blank arm and she goes and she's like doing a tattoo like old school and she goes to, to smack the, the ink onto his arm and then we immediately, it cuts to the full tattoo as he and Alex are running to stop the verdict. I thought that was a fantastic transition. Yeah, uh, just a bit on his tattoo, because um, I, I ha- had to read up on it just because I was interested. Um, obviously, the tattoo he has doesn't actually say he lives among us, um, but he's not one of us. It's, these are Matthew Fox's actual tattoos. Um, but the characters, the four characters on his arm, they say, and apologies if there's any Chinese people listening to this, they say Ying Ji Chiang Kong. Um, that's how it's pronounced in Mandarin. Um, and it means eagle strike long sky, which roughly translates to eagles strike the wide sky. And it's actually taken from a poem um, written by written by somebody in, in China. Yeah, see, the only thing that I know about his tattoo is the five thing. Because he, yeah. uh, he was on Party it's of on Five top. years before. And from what I understand, all of them, kind of like uh, Dominic Monaghan, uh, has I believe the the tattoo number nine somewhere on his body because all of them from the Lord of the Rings got the tattoo because I think there was nine of them in those films, uh, and Matthew Fox and all of the other people from Party of Five got the number five. But of course, with the character of Jack, it references the whole count to five thing. Hmm. Yeah, I think those tattoos are, up, are the ones above it, above those four letters, those four Chinese symbols. I think you might have got that later because in this one they've got that all. Um, Make-upped out, haven't they? They've just got the four Chinese bits on yeah, his arm. When, yeah, because when we see his arm a moment later, when the when What's-Her-Name's brother lifts up his, his sleeve, he only just has the sim, the, the Chinese symbols. Yeah, which goes uh, to the point where maybe she was going to finish the tattoo later in subsequent episodes, but obviously that got scratched. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably a good call. As they get to... The little trial thing. Juliet is sitting in front of everyone and Isabel and Tom step outside where Isabel asks Alex what she's doing there. 
and I specifically wrote, I hate how Isabel delivers the dialogue here. It sounds so fake and forced. I cannot stand it. Because she's just there with, like, the most expressionless face. What are you doing here, Alex? Like, oh, my. <laughs> it was it was awful. That was, we said before, and you said, uh, Kevin, that Carlton said the episode was cringeworthy. And I said, I don't think the episode, but certain parts, that's one of those parts. Yeah, I, I think they really from all the context clues that I've gotten and in the interviews and quotes and stuff that I've read, I really think they didn't like the actresses in this episode. Alex gives Isabel the note from Ben. And she says that Ben has commuted Juliet's sentence. Death is off the table. However, she will be marked. So he's when they read the part where it says she will be marked. They cut to a scene of Tom and he like seems shocked by this, but he was not shocked at the fact that they were about to kill this woman. Like he, he treats it like her being marked is now worse than her dying. So I guess uh, in his opinion, uh, that's how bad a tramp stamp is. <laughs> Cause that's essentially what they do to her, right? It's a freaking tramp stamp. He would have been completely okay with the killing though. Tramp stats are supposed to be mildly attractive, though, aren't they? This is just a this is just a cow burn. Like it may as well have been on her ass. <laughs> I would have preferred if it was, and then you know they could have Jack treat that. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> In flashback, Jack is exiting his hut and sees the soda boy from the beginning. He signals to him that he wants to purchase some, but the boy looks scared and starts to run away, and Jack is confused. Some men then approach him, and I noticed some of them were coming off of his own porch, which was kind of weird, and Jack recognizes one of them as Achara's brother. He lifts Jack's sleeve to see the marking. Jack realizes that things are about to go south, and he says to let go of him before they begin beating him down. The brother then says to leave the country. As they walk away, Jack sees that Achara watched the whole thing, crying. Jack did get one good shot in there, at least. But he got his ass handed to him for the most part. Yeah, that's true. Sand would be unbearable. <laughs> yeah, that did, that did look uh, pretty uncomfortable because he was really getting sand kicked into his face. But I was thinking maybe another reason for that five on his arm because of the five on one beat down that he survived because <laughs> of the tattoo. People look at those tattoos. And, and all he had to say in like in season one when Kate uh, was asking him he would have just been like you don't know what i went through in thailand like <laughs> <laughs> funny thing is the amount of people i met in thailand um who got tattoos when they were like drunk and just regretted it a bit like uh um the hangover part two i mean it's genuinely it's unbelievable how many people do get tattoos in thailand it's that's worrying well, do they do they do them like with a needle and things like we do here, or do they do it kind of old school like she was doing it with the I don't know yeah. what the thing is called. It's all with bamboo. Yeah, everyone okay. gets them with bamboo. Yeah, I uh, I got my Google's on last night uh, afterwards because I wanted to know is this really a thing? Like, is this a thing in in Thailand where it's like they have people who read you and then tattoo you? And I couldn't find anything exactly that. But there are uh, kind of like how they do in uh, uh, Samoan countries, Polynesian countries, uh, or whatever, where they have like the Rock has that giant shoulder tattoo. It kind of like tells the story of his life. They basically have 
the same thing in Thailand as far as, and it's from a, a Buddhist perspective, I believe, and it integrates uh, different cultures and religions. Okay. So you do have like the, the Thai people walking around with uh, just their entire bodies covered with tattoos like that, but nothing that's just like four little symbols. Well, you, you said about that I, like, that Polynesian I countries and things, and I know, like, especially in regards to The Rock and, and Kevin, or, yeah, Kevin, I know you'll, you'll appreciate this because of the whole wrestling connection. I know I've seen a lot of the people from that family, and they talk about how a lot of times, like, especially like The Rock's grandfather, he had basically the pants his his entire lower mm-hmm. body was was covered in tattoos and they've they've said several times for them that was a a symbol of his high chief status uh for anybody who if i if, if if i even keep this in for anybody who doesn't know the rock's grandfather high chief peter mayavia and the concept of him having the entire lower half of his body covered in tattoos was a symbol of his high chief uh, status. And that's one of the other reasons that they get the large things of tattoos. Like you said, the fact that he has it going from his wrist all the way up his arm and over one of his pecs is just because that's not only a symbol of how tough you are, that you're able to get that entire thing covered, but just the fact that you're, you're looked upon highly in those cultures. The entirety of his lower body. Yes, pretty much. Yeah. Like, and and, and <laughs> yeah, there was with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you Google uh, Google Peter Maivia, you'll see uh, that like his legs were almost entirely black. Yeah, my my joke there was was his was his penis. Stuff. Oh, oh, oh. He could once add went over my head. Back in Jack's, what I, now is Jack's cage on Hydra Island, uh, Jack sees Juliet bringing him food. She jokes that he uh, only likes her sandwiches, and he asks to see her mark. She lifts up the back of her shirt to reveal a symbol, but the mark looks infected. And I didn't get a chance to look it up. I know the symbol actually has some sort of meaning. I'm hoping one of you has it there. No, I thought it was like that, the medical thing. That medical symbol, but then I was googling that, and it, it really isn't. It's from what I could tell, uh, it just looked like one of those eight-point stars, like essentially an asterisk, two X's crossing each other. Uh, Kimberly and Amy on that Lost Initiative podcast uh, had debated over whether it was the Scientology symbol upside down. Apparently, well, that was the, the theory at the time. Because the top thing is longer, and I thought I read somewhere right. once that. That it's like an old, uh, not a, like not a Wiccan symbol, but it's like an old, some some symbol for something. I don't remember exactly what it was, Ups, but it kind of fits down in. With, cross, kind of. Yeah, and it it kind of fits in with the fact that like the others don't have one sort of set of mythology. They have certain Egyptian things. We saw the funeral, which seemed very Viking-esque. You know, they have all sorts of things, so it would it would fit in with the fact that there isn't one sort of central religion thing with their with their group. Which becomes a big part of the show, right? Yeah. Yep. Well I think if it was anything like the rest of this episode, there probably wasn't much thought behind it and they just got a random <laughs> sign and shoved it on. <laughs> Yeah, that seems right. Fair enough. Juliet's uh, back on her sandwich duty, and I suspect that's because nobody really misses Pickett anyway, especially now that his wife's dead too. So, Jack tells her to break off some of the nearby aloe plant so he can tend to the infection, 
and they have this moment where he takes a few seconds before he finally uh, grabs her waist as he starts to clean the mark, and she asks why he helped her, and he says that Ben promised both of them that they'd get to go home, and he intends to make sure that Ben keeps that word. And she asks how, and he says that they're going to do that together. She tells Jack that all of the others will be coming for Jack because Sawyer and Kate know where they are, so they must leave this place, and that they're going to what Ben calls home. On the main island, Sawyer goes back to Kate, telling her that he let Carl go. She thought he could be useful, but he lies and tells her that it isn't because he's sensitive, it's because Carl is a target. Sawyer says that they need to get moving, and she questions him giving her orders. And that's that line that I said uh, earlier that I really liked from her, despite the fact that, like Andy said, she seems to have all the wrong things in this episode. I really do like that line where she says something about walking side by side with him or 10 paces behind. And he says uh, that she feels guilty. And she says about they had to leave Jack behind. And it made me... It, every time it makes me question because I, I must be missing something because all of a sudden at the beginning of the episode, she was there saying, oh, we need to go back for Jack. We need to go back for Jack. And he says about feeling guilty and she immediately goes, well, we had to leave Jack behind. Well, which is it? Do you want to go back for him or are you OK that you left him behind? I think today she's just had an off day. Her brain hasn't been functioning quite right. And she's just had to let Sawyer say everything. <laughs> she's confusing herself yeah I can roll with that or either that or there was uh, some sort of deleted scene that would have explained that a little better with them talking about it more but even her saying uh, you know saying something like you were right we had to leave Jack like that would have yeah because it just seemed like a complete 180 from the beginning of the episode yeah Imagine, imagine that you know one of the female characters on Lost just changing her mind out of nowhere never happens (laughs) i'll beat that drum until i'm dead (laughs) but sawyer says that he isn't referring to jack he's talking about the two of them having sex he knows that it was only because she thought that he was going to die and then they have a bit of an awkward silence and then he says that they need to go i love how she doesn't like debate that or or, you know (laughs) yeah no denial on her part yeah no, no denial. Like, yeah, eh, I thought you were going to die, so here, I'll throw you a little trim. <laughs> Back on Hydra Island, as the sun is setting, they're all gathered and getting ready to return to the main island. Isabel, with Jack, tells him that his tattoos say, He walks amongst us, but he is not one of us. And Jack once again confirms that he knows what they say, but that isn't what they mean. Yeah, well delivered. I, li- I liked it. I think that was a little bit of good writing in the episode. It's, it was a nice... That's a kind of a nice reveal about his tattoos. I think it, it fits the fits the episode well. Yeah, and... Uh, like I said, I prefer the, the cool, calm, and collected, uh, somewhat confident Jack here, as opposed to the angry Jack. And also... Is this the the wrong uh, usage of ironic? Because I, I believe she calls it ir- ironic. She did earlier, yeah. A lot of people confuse ironic and coincidental, right? 
because they don't mean the same thing. I think this is a little more coincidental than ironic. Maybe I just have a ninth grade education and I'm wrong though. Sounds like you know more than me, mate. <laughs> I don't know. I thought I thought that was I thought it was irony that like he's in that situation. I thought that's what that's one of the definitions of irony. I could be wrong though. Because I can't, I can't think of the word ironic and not hear that Alanis Morissette song. Right. Well, yeah, most of the things she mentions in that song is not actually irony. That's just, you know, bad luck. Yeah. No, that, I don't think that is irony because he, he, that genuinely is what he's doing. Okay. I think it would be the other way around, like you said. Like that's, uh, oh, I don't know. They all begin getting into little boats and Jack is with Ben. In the jungle, and it's this is the first time we've seen this kind of scene. I feel like in a little bit where it's that thing, and uh, Andy and I have talked about it before, where it's very much American television of having the music, and it's not it's not like a pop song; it's just actual score. But over these little flashes of scenes, the little montage to to kind of sum up the episode. But we see uh, Sawyer and Kate lighting torches in the jungle. Uh, Carl looking at a fire or at a fire looking up at the stars Alex in another place looking at the same stars and then we see Juliet and Jack on a boat heading towards the main island looking up at the night's sky and that's how so, we end the episode so it is Michael playing in the background there is it I'm pretty sure I would assume so but okay. yeah it wasn't it didn't seem like one of his best like i i never mind these little montages with the with the score playing over them uh to end the episodes i don't mind them like paul seems to but, no, 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 I don't mind yeah. it. It's just funny, and especially after having talked with Andy. I mean, in the in the beginning, it definitely because, like, I mean, again, Grey's Anatomy. They do that at least twice an episode on that show. Like every mm-hmm. episode, they have a, a montage before the end of the second to last act, and then pretty much at the very end. So, like, I I don't mind it. It just seemed like in the beginning of the series, they used it quite a lot, and then having talked with Andy and Andrew, it 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 they pointed out the fact that that seems to be a very American thing that they do on television. Yeah. And, and to be fair, I think it is, I didn't really notice it. It didn't cross my mind that was what was going on at this point, but it does make it a lot easier to handle when it's, when it's sort of like classical TV scores in the background, instead of having some CW pop song going on. Do you know what I mean? That, that they are terrible. Those crazy anatomy ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I, I don't, I don't agree because I like that. But no, I, I think you're right. I do like the fact that this, especially this one, as compared to uh, the only one that I that I think I really like with Lost with the with the the songs is the episode right before Hurley's first episode where he, you know, it starts to skip and his CD player is there and like that's what happens and that kind of ends the episode where he's just like son of a bitch like that I kind of like because it was just like yeah a, that's a nice, my favorite yeah it's a nice little funny <laughs> moment but I, I definitely do for this kind of show because even though pop culture or pop music has been featured a lot this show very much is about the Michael Giacchino score so the more they employ that I like it definitely and they, like you said, they hadn't done this in a while. Like I felt like they had done little cliffhangers or, or little just ending on a on a strong line, real quick with the boom, you know. So, so it was a nice little change of pace. Exactly. Uh, but that is all I have for notes for this episode. Do you guys have anything else? 
Well, I think I think just in general, it it shows the quality of loss that people. I mean, yeah, this wasn't one of his best, but to say this is his worst, it just shows that over a hundred episodes, Lost does have an extremely high quality um, standard to go by. I mean, yeah, it wasn't one of the best, but again, there's other shows which have far, far, far worse quality episodes than this one. Yeah, the fact that most people seem to think this is the worst episode ever and we just sat here talking about it and really didn't complain at all, yeah, that's, it does say something about the show itself. Yeah, and I mean, I, I've said it uh, and I've talked about it with Jake and a few other people, and, and I know Jake kind of disagrees because he's in the same boat with you, Andy. He doesn't like the fire and water episode, but uh, I said that to me, I would much rather watch this episode, which I consider to be the worst, of, or arguably the worst of the series, I would much rather watch this episode, a bad episode of a good TV series, than a bad TV series in general. Yeah, of course, because you're, you're still watching all the characters that are, are well-built and deep, and you enjoy watching, you've built a love for these characters. So even if it's in a bad episode with writing, you're still watching characters that you love. So there's that entertainment still there. Exactly. And I, the one, actually, I, I I was wrong. I did have one final note that I I wrote at the end, and it, it was actually because I I kind of thought we were going to be go out. At least I was going to be going into this complaining quite a lot. But I did write at the very end of my notes the Sawyer and Carl scene, and the Alex, Jack, and Ben scene or scenes the the cage scene and then the in the ER, I thought were actually very very good. The you know. Uh, Ben's joke about Ethan and, and all of that. And I wrote, I forgot those gems in this episode. Very true. And yeah, the, forget. Cause honestly, the, the flashbacks, it's not like they play a major part. I think if you break it down, they're probably less than 15 minutes of the show out of, you know, the 43 or whatever that it comes in at. So there are more like on Island activities, I'd say, or yeah, scenes, not activities, but uh, more time is spent on the island, and, and that stuff is somewhat important. They had to wrap that up uh, yeah. as, far, as far as Juliet, you know, just murdering somebody. You can't just let that go. you got to wrap it up somehow. Yeah, definitely. I was exactly, exactly going to say what Kevin just said. They, they needed to – they couldn't just have Juliet killing another go under the rug. They had to somehow – unfortunately, it wasn't particularly gripping – with uh, Isabel and stuff, but it needed to be done. Well, that's the thing. I mean, like, I, I, I like, I don't like the flashback stuff. Like you said, it doesn't actually take up that much of the show. And I, I did like some of the island stuff, but like, like Andy mentioned earlier in the episode, and we talked about it a few times, the fact that, like, Kate just has, like, all the wrong ideas. Like, that, to me, just became boring after a little bit because, you know, Sawyer's just there, and he's just like... Well, okay, but this is what we realistically should do. He's he's taken time and he's thought about it instead of just let's act on based on what I have in my mind right now. So realistically, to me, a lot of that could have gotten cut. That's why I particularly pointed out the Sawyer and Carl scene. And then a lot of the stuff with the marking, yeah, I understand they had to they had to wrap up the Juliet story, but it just seemed to 
be so that they could have the juxtaposition of the markings in Jack's flashback versus the markings that she gets, which is why I think one of the better scenes is where uh, Jack doesn't have anything to do with the Juliet plot, really, because it's just his scene with Alex and then his scene with Ben. And again, it's not like they betrayed what they what they do because that is kind of the lost classic juxtaposition between a flashback and what's going on on island. So they did maintain their integrity through oh, that. Oh, yeah, least. absolutely. But do we have anything else for this discussion? Uh, I'll do what I do real quick because I like to get into how they make the donuts. Uh, episode aired February 21st, 2007. Written by Elizabeth Sarnoff, who uh, one of 19 lost episodes that she uh, wrote. She, uh, I believe, did, because she's worked with J.J. on a few things. Uh, I want to say she did the Alcatraz series. Yes, she's uh, listed as a co-creator on Alcatraz. She also wrote and produced on Deadwood. She was uh, one of the writers on this episode, the other being Christina M. Kim, who wrote six episodes total of Lost, but was a story editor on many, many more, and is also a producer on Hawaii Five O. So there's that, and it was directed by Paris Barclay. This is the only episode of Lost uh, that he's oh, ever directed. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. So Dude, he, he does have that stain on his resume. However, he's directed uh, over 50 different shows. He's kind of that classic uh, TV director. Um also executive producer and writer on Sons of Anarchy and many more shows, including an episode in the 90s of Sliders, which I always loved that show. I actually remember when Kurt Sutter hired him because I think he had directed one or like a few episodes over the first like two or three seasons of Sons of Anarchy and they were friends. And because he has that prolific TV career, he was so happy when he finally got him to sign, uh, you know, to be like their kind of their Jack Bender of the series, if you will. He's mm-hmm. the guy who's going to be the, you know, in charge of all the other directors. He's going to be the one who's there basically on set every day, the counterpoint to Kurt Sutter running the writing room and post-production. And I remember he was just so excited that he got Paris Barclay to be that guy for him. And I always forget that he directed this episode until like I read it or like you just said it now. And I'm just like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's n- not the best. I-, I half expected when I was looking up some of the credits and stuff, being like, oh, man, like, I'm going to look this up, and this is going to be their only, ep- like, the writers, directors, everybody. It's going to be their only episode, isn't it? And I was half right. Uh, if we don't have anything else, why don't you guys hit them with their social media where they can get in contact with you and keep up on everything that you guys are doing? Cool. Well, I'm friends with Paul. Uh, and clock shelves on Facebook, Acorn Crazy on Twitter, and Andy Cornforth on YouTube if you want to listen to any of my my music. Listen, go listen to Andy's YouTube mixes because they're awesome. Uh, I listened to them for the first time uh, a couple weeks ago, and I actually tweeted one. I wish I would have had your Hollywood and Vines theme when we were actually in Hawaii as I was doing the six-hour hikes that I was doing and stuff, because that would have been a great song to play uh, as we were going through that. Thanks, mate. It means a lot. Well well done stuff. Well done. So whoever's listening to this, go check it out. And I'm on all forms of social media under the same name. Spell out 7th Power. Replace the V with a 7. 
And as always, you can find all things Clock Shelves, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat, at Clock Shelves. That's C-L-O-C-K-S-H-E-L-V-E-S. Uh, find us on SoundCloud and iTunes as well for the entirety of the Clock Shelves podcast network. Uh, thank you guys so much for being on this episode. It was fantastic talking with the both of you and finally getting to bring you both together on an episode. Man, Kevin, I just want to say I, I really enjoyed this episode. I thought we had, well, you bring some great knowledge and insight in some of those things that I don't really ever noticed before. I appreciate uh, it, and I was looking forward to this uh, very much. I had said it a while back. Uh, you and I come together. It's kind of like two leaders of two separate groups coming together. At least that's how I felt in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had fun today. Indeed. And I will end with the traditional thank you, namaste, and good luck. Do you want me to teach you some Thai? Um. <laughs> Go on, try it. Say sour D cup. Are you saying sour D cup? Sour D. Like sa- so sour D and then... If you're if you're male, you'd say cup afterwards, and if you're a woman, you'd say car. So I so every time I, to be polite, so I would say sawadi cup would be like hello, and then capcoon cup is thank you. Go ahead, I'm lost. I'm lost already. <laughs> <laughs> at first, at first, because of the accent, I, I, I can read sure off a menu. <laughs> That's all I know. Because of the <laughs> accent, I wasn't sure whether you were saying sour or sawa. Yeah, oh, it's a bit of both, mate. Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, I can't... I'm, I'm assuming it's S A W A. That's right? what I. Yeah. Well, obviously, they're. That's how I would write it down. Yeah, but obviously, they have an entirely different alphabet, so right, <laughs> I wouldn't right, right. say how it actually translates. Um, but that's one of the because I tried to learn a bit of Thai when I was out there, and the hardest part about it is, uh, it's they've got. Uh, how do you describe it? So the word my actually has five different meanings because it's tonal. So like if you said my, it would mean no. But if you said my, it would be like a question. And I think like my is like cow or something. So like the same word. <laughs> you, say, you say it with the wrong sort of tone and it, it literally means something different. Because like sabadi my would mean how are you? And then you say my sabai using the same word my which just means not good because it means no it's just it's very difficult to grasp you... mm. see this yeah, show I was, is yeah, i was thinking about going to thailand <laughs> yeah. i was thinking about going to thailand and uh, you might have just talked me out of it because no dude it's amazing you should go fantastic <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure i'll get there one of these days but yeah, I would just think because we've seen. I mean, yeah, granted, it's Juliet versus Kate. They're both badasses, and whatever. But she, like Juliet, takes Kate down, and I feel like other than not counting like weapons or guns or or any of that stuff, I feel like we've seen several of the others know, like they know certain military type tactics. At least back in like the fifties, you know, they they know. Granted, it's because they know the terrain better than the survivors do. But I just feel like a lot of them, we've seen them with knowledge of some type of fighting style. You're not wrong. Okay. But I think uh, 
the vast majority probably not. I think the vast majority are there, uh, just kind of living a sort of hippie lifestyle. When when you think about it, like so many just got brushed aside. Like there were obviously a lot of them, but the, I think there were more Cindy the flight attendants than there were Mikhail's. Okay. I feel like anything you need to know, like as far as um, grammar and and you know the basics of, of writing and being able to form a sentence and knowing what is proper English, uh, you learn in middle school. Like, sure, I'm sure there are advanced literary techniques and stuff like that that you can learn going forward. But you're 100 percent right. But have you seen what the current generation of 15 looks like and and speaks like and types like? Yeah, yeah. Sad and and but you know, I'm sure like me and you, uh, Paul, have texted enough that you notice I tend to use proper grammar even when texting. Well, I mean, I would assume you've noticed that I pretty much do the same thing. Yes, oh, yeah, I, absolutely. Do, I do the same thing most of the time as well. Yeah, but you're you're absolutely right. Is that this current age of people who uh, grew up texting and uh, with AOL Instant Messenger and whatever else? Probably not so much. You're Which, right. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I When I was uh, probably until around 15, 16, I was always, I was the text. I mean, yeah, I'll do like LOL or, you know, certain things like that. But for the most part, like you said, I, I mean, I do much like you, pretty complete sentences, proper grammar, uh, you know, commas, uh, all that sort of stuff. But up until I was about 15 or 16, I would if I was typing, not if I was like writing a paper, but if I was typing something to somebody, I would spell phone F O N E just because I was like, Oh, it's saving me so much time. And then after a certain (laughs) point, I was just like, this makes me look like an idiot. (laughs) And certain friends, like some of my other friends who they tried to act like they were way more intelligent than everybody else. They would, you know, type in, in full proper sentences and stuff. And then it, it did, it kind of made me, feel bad about myself to the point where I just started doing that. And now I interact with people of all ages, some with vast computer and technology knowledge and some with none. And I just like, you know, certain people, they, they still don't know the difference between your and your, and that bugs me. Well, I think now that you have a, a phone with a full keyboard on, you have no excuse not to use proper English. When you have to press like, the number eight like four times to get the letter t i can kind of understand that but when you've got a full keyboard you've got no excuses just learn the fucking language yes that's true the worst i do now is i leave uh leave use out of words like uh behavior sorry andy (laughs) we'll stop spell everything wrong (laughs) pre and rosen get get on me for that too no i've actually at work i've got we're we're just rebranding stuff at work Uh, and because we're like um we're an international company. They've we, they've taken the decision to Americanize all the like client front facing stuff. So it just means that everything's bit Z's are being put in where there should be S's. U's are being removed from words. It just it breaks my heart a little bit when my company does that. Um, I've got the poem here. If you want me to read it out in English, alone I stand in the autumn cold on the tip of Orange Island. The Zhang flowing northward. I see a thousand hills crimsoned through by their serried wood deep dyed and a hundred barges vying over crystal blue waters. Eagles cleave the air 
fish glide under the shallow water. Under freezing skies, a million creatures contend in freedom, brooding over this immensity. I ask on this bondless land, who rules over man's destiny? I was here with a throng of companions, vivid yet these crowded months and years. Young we were, schoolmates, at life's full flowering. Filled with student enthusiasm, boldly we cast all restraints aside, pointing to our mountains and rivers, setting people afire with our words. We counted the mighty no more than muck. Remember still how venturing midstream we struck the waters and how waves stayed the speeding boats. Obviously, that's translated from Chinese, so it doesn't make all that much sense in English, but it's an extremely one of the most famous poems in Chinese, apparently. And Matthew Fox has it on his arm. It's very it's taught Fox. You have unexpected yeah. depth. It's taught at school and everything in China. So, um, see now, now I'm curious as to how and why he really did get that tattoo. Yeah, Matt, the, the mystery yeah. is back open as far as I'm <laughs> concerned because I want to know the real story, not the bullshit TV version. Hey, this is Jorge. Thanks for listening to Lost with Friends. Thanks for listening to another podcast from Clock Shelves Entertainment.